This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. If you're new to the Bible, you can find Matthew by uh, looking up in the table of contents. Uh, Matthew is one of the five biographies written about, four, excuse me, four biographies written about Jesus. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's the first one. Uh, we're going to be Matthew chapter 5 today, verses 13 through 16. And as you turn there, um, I'm not sure if you're like me, but I, I'm a big believer that it's inappropriate to talk about Christmas before we celebrate Thanksgiving. And so I actually felt very uncomfortable even talking about our Christmas plans this morning with you. But like, okay, we got a plan, so we have to do that. But I'm like, man, we just jump over Thanksgiving. Like, what kind of culture are we? We can't even say thanks for anything. We just want to get to the thing where we start getting presents, right? Like, that, that's America right there in a nutshell, you know? And so I want to go against that, and I just always want to give Thanksgiving its due. I don't let Christmas music be heard in my home. We don't play it on the radio. We don't put up any gifts. We do nothing until Thanksgiving is over. But I do make an exception for the movie A Christmas Story. That movie comes on, you know, with little Ralphie and his Red Rider rifle. I'm like, okay, anytime that comes on, anytime I have an opportunity to watch it, I'm going to put that on because that, 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 that's why I call the Christmas story clause. It doesn't apply to my principle for not celebrating Christmas before Thanksgiving. And one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when little Ralphie, he gets all excited about this decoder ring. Right, that he'd been eating, he'd been drinking Ovaltine, he'd been, he'd, been, he'd been saving up like these little box tops or wherever it was to try to get it. He finally sends it all in, he gets his decoder ring, he's so excited to wait for it. He had this show that he'd listened to called Little Orphan Annie, and at the end of every show, Pierre would give this like secret you know, message to the people who had the decoder ring, and only those who had the decoder ring could understand what Pierre was saying, and so it was finally his turn. To, to be able to hear this great message of Pierre. And so he, he listened to the whole show and isn't really paying much attention to it. He just wants to get to the Dakota Ring time at the end. And he finally listens to it. And he is, you know, furiously, you know, decoding each word and, and using his ring that he's so excited about. You know, one letter, two letters. He's writing frantically, like anticipating what's going to happen. And then he finds that the message is, drink more Ovaltine. And his response is, that's it? A crummy commercial? And his dreams are dashed as what he'd been living for for so many months was shown to actually mean nothing. And I have to wonder how easy it is for us sometimes to have that same experience. We're we're pursuing something that we think is going to be great. Like when we get this, when we have this, when we're able to accomplish this, then our life will have meaning. But we find out that, oh, we get that and it's not all that we'd hoped it would be. I think about the famous quote from the preacher D.L. Moody who said, our greatest fear in life should not be failure, but succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. This morning in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to tell us what does really matter. If you're new, we've been in a series here for the past few weeks um, where, where we're looking at what Jesus taught in the Gospel of Matthew about the kingdom of God. It's the topic that he most frequently taught on. And God's kingdom is a cosmic story that is meant to bring shape and direction to our lives by giving us both an identity and a purpose. And in Matthew chapter 5, 
verses 13 through 16. Uh, This takes place in the context of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' longest recording about what life in his kingdom is like. And he's going to tell us this morning, as you come to these verses, that as we live in God's kingdom, what our purpose is meant to be as citizens of that kingdom. Not just later, but right here and right now, in the places that we find ourselves. So let's turn our attention to God's word. Read together in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, as we consider our kingdom purpose. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Would God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word for the glory of his name. Amen. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. I want us to see two things this morning in these words of Jesus. I want us to see, one, what our kingdom purpose is. What our kingdom purpose is. And then, two, I want to see how we can pursue that purpose. And I understand that not everyone listening to this might be a Christian. You might be coming from a variety of perspectives. I hope this morning as you hear what Jesus is saying, though, that you feel invited by God into something that maybe is a little bit greater and more meaningful than what you're currently living for. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I hope this morning that we're reminded and reoriented to what our Lord and Savior does want us living for. So let's look at point number one, what our kingdom purpose is. As Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, which, as we've seen, is not of this physical world. The kingdom of God is the spiritual state of living as God's person, in God's presence, under God's rule. And so we live spiritually in God's kingdom, even as we live physically in this world. And one day, we will be both spiritually and physically in God's kingdom when we go to be in heaven, or when Christ comes again to bring God's rule permanently and fully to earth. So, the kingdom of God is, 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 is not this world, but as we live as kingdom citizens, we do still have a purpose in this world. Jesus says we are to be like salt and light. Both salt and light have an effect on what they are put into. Put salt into food and it will make it more flavorful, and it will also work against the decay that comes from bacteria. Put light into a dark room and it will reveal things that were otherwise hidden. It will, it will let you see. They, both salt and light have an effect on the environments that they're placed in. And so what Jesus is telling us here is that while God's kingdom is not of this world, God's kingdom is meant to have an effect on this world. And that effect is meant to come through us. Jesus says, you are. He is speaking about his followers. We are meant to make a difference in this world that we find ourselves in. Now what kind of difference did Jesus want us to make? Are we supposed to go around and, I don't know, plant a bunch more trees? Um, Well maybe, that's that's a good thing to do. 
But of all things we can do, all the good works we can give ourselves to, there's one goal that we should always have in view, and Jesus gives us this goal in verse 16. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The difference that Jesus wants his followers to make in this world is to use our lives in such a way that more people come to know the God who made the world and give him glory for it. To give God glory means to honor him, to praise him, to treasure him, to value him for who he is. As we saw last week, as we considered our kingdom passion, loving God, treasuring God, valuing him above everything else is to be the greatest passion in our lives. And God wants that passion to spread from us to the others around us. You know, many people believe in some kind of God. What Jesus is talking about here is not just some kind of God that makes no difference in your life. What he's talking about here is is he wants people to come to know him, to know God in such a way that their life becomes about giving glory to God, saying, God, you're so great that I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. You get to find me. That's how amazing you are. And friends, this, as we think about all that's going on in our world, let's get a little more local. As we think about all that's going on in our city and the many needs that exist, let's be very clear. This is the greatest need that every single person around us has. It is to know the glory of God, and to give him glory for his glory. What's going to put a stop to war? What will end world hunger? What will create justice and equity and love for a fellow human that will bind us together in truth and in beauty? Friends, what, what the end of times looks like is the whole world united in praise of God. It's what, it's what Revelation pictures. It's us living together as a holy temple in the presence of God, giving him glory for who he is. That's what takes place in heaven right now. And that's what God wants to see come here on earth. He wants to see us using our lives to direct other people to his praise because it is as we have a common praise that our hearts are bound together with a common love. Nothing brings people together like shared worship. Nothing brings people together like shared worship. Remember, remember when the Eagles won the Super Bowl? Right? I was here in this building and I start running out to Broad Street because like, there's just an innate thing that like, we want to be with other people when we're really, really happy. You know, no one's like, okay, I'm so happy. Let me go sit in the closet. No, like, I'm so happy. Let me go party on Broad Street, right? And as I'm running to Broad Street with my little, at that point, I guess she was uh, 2018, was she, she's seven or eight, something like that. My daughter with me in tow. It's like midnight. Usually we're not half around in the streets of Philadelphia at midnight. But we're running down there, and I'm like giving hugs to complete strangers. And I'm like, you know what? I think you're a drug dealer who probably tomorrow would mug me. But like tonight, we're brothers, right? <laughs> Nothing brings us together like shared Worship and the biblical vision of heaven given to us in Revelation 7 is all people together with one shared worship. There are different people, men and women from every corner of the globe, united together not by a common language, not by a common culture, not even by common heritage, but the common worship of the one true God, celebrating the greatest victory there ever has been or ever will be, the victory of our salvation from sin, Satan, and death, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. See, what unites people together as as the kingdom of God in heaven is their shared worship of the greatness of God. And and, and this is what we want to see come here now on earth. 
We want to see people brought together in praise of the great God who gave his life for us. What this world most desperately needs to be healed from the cursed brokenness of this place is the shared desire to glorify God. His praise is what's going to bring us together. God's left us as his followers on earth, as people of his kingdom. He has left us on earth. He's left you on earth, if you're a follower of Jesus, to make a difference in this place by promoting his praise. The effect of our lives should be that because of love, of us, our coworkers, or our classmates, the people on our blocks, or whatever places we find ourselves in, if you're a parent, the kids in your home, the effect of our lives should be that because of us, more people are coming to praise God. That's what Jesus is holding out to us here. Our purpose in life is not about promoting our own little kingdom where we have everything set up according to our own comfort and convenience. No, our life is to be about spending ourselves to invest in the greater purpose of pointing people to the praise of God. So how do we do that? How do we live for this purpose of influencing others with the greatness of God and, and letting the effect of our lives have a salt and light effect on the world around us? How, how do we live this way? Well, let's look at our second point, how we can pursue this kingdom purpose. I was at a church playing conference once, and the theme that kept getting repeated again and again is that in order to reach people, you have to be relevant. 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 You have to speak to what people want to hear. It was like go out into your community, like take a poll about the questions they have, and then answer them in church. They'll show up at your church. And um, I think actually verse 13 gives us a little bit of a different thing. Uh, Jesus says in verse 13 that if salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything. Now, salt can't literally change its elements. Salt will always be sodium chloride. Salt can't become not salt. But salt can lose its effect if it becomes diluted by a bunch of other substances. Right? One of the jobs, actually, uh, that you had in the ancient world was a salt maker. And what they would do is they would purify salt. They'd take it out of the sea and they kind of like go through a sifting process to purify everything that was mixed in it to get out of it so that they could be the, 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 all the little pebbles and minerals uh, so that the salt could then be effective at what it was supposed to do. And so what Jesus is saying here is not that like, hey, here's how you need to mix in with the world and be really relevant and speak about what they're already thinking about and just put a little gospel gravy on it. That's not what he's saying. He's actually saying the exact opposite. The way that we make a difference in the world is not by being relevant, it's by being different. The way we make a difference in the world is not by being relevant. The way we make a difference in the world is by being very different from the world. It's only as we embrace our purpose to be salt and light, which are by definition different than than what they get put into. It's only, it's only when we are different that we're then positioned to make a difference. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be not relevant. I'm obviously speaking in English right now and not Swahili. One, I don't know Swahili. And second, like, that's not relevant to where we are, right? Like, there's a certain contextualization that takes place all the time. So I'm not saying that we should, you know, be these weirdos. But I'm saying what Jesus is saying here is that we need to understand that part of what God wants us to do in our lives as we go out into the world is not to adopt the values, purposes, and things of the world around us, but to go out into our world as distinctively different people, because that's how we're actually going to make a difference in the world. Pastor Tony Evans says it this way, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. What this world needs is the inbreaking of another world. We don't win anything by being worldly. We make a difference by being different and living as a part of a different kingdom. 
to quote theologian Miroslav Volf. He says, to live as a Christian means to keep inserting a difference into a given culture without ever stepping outside that culture to do so. Right? God doesn't want us to live outside the culture in these kind of cloistered you know, monasteries. He wants to be in the world. In our context, he wants to be in the city. But he doesn't want us to be of the city, shaped by the same things that shape our city. If we're going to make a difference in this place, we need to embrace being a different kind of people. So I'm going to look at three three differences that, that God calls us to make. And if I had to sum it all up in one way, let me just put, put, say it this way. God's purpose for his kingdom people is for them, is for you, to make a difference in the world by being different from the world. God's purpose for his kingdom people is for them to make a difference in the world by being different from the world. And there's three specific ways. One, we are to serve a different Lord. Two, we are to share a different life. And three, we are to speak a different message. We're to live in the world. But as we live in the world, we are to serve a different Lord, we are to share a different life, and we are to speak a different message. We are to first serve a different Lord. Take a minute, just in your mind, and think about some of the decisions you made this past week. Maybe shows you decide to watch, music you decide to listen to, something you spent your time or your money on. Think about opinions you hold, right? important issues. We have, we have, a, we have a, a, an election coming up, right? How are you thinking about who to vote for on that? I hope you're thinking about that. How are you thinking about that? Think about your values. You have things that you think, like, this is actually really, really important. I'm sure, as I say that, that there's things that are coming to your mind, right? Don't, no one needs to shout these things out. I'm sure you could write down a list of all those different de- decisions, opinions, and values. So think about that list for a moment. Now think about this. What Bible verses could you put next to each of those things and say, I do this or I believe this or I live this way because God says this? It's easy to come up with a list of our decisions and opinions and values. I don't think it's always as easy to come up with how those things are informed actually by God's word. But if they're not being informed by God's word, what Lord are we serving? We're not meant to be shaped by the people or things around us, friends. We're meant to be shaped by God's word says and to come to him and say, Lord, you help me inform my decisions. You help tell me how I should spend my time and what career goals I should pursue and how I should think about societal issues. You shape me in that. I want to come to you and not write what I think upon you, but allow what you think to write yourself upon me. I think it's very easy for us to, again, have our one list, but not necessarily have a list of God's words that's informing that. Or sometimes, if you've been around church for a little bit, you know how to play this game. You have your list, and then you go hunting in God's word for little Bible verses you can slap on to the list you already have. Nothing on your list is going to change. But you just want to go find, okay, God, let's make sure that you're going to rubber stamp what I already think. Let's be honest, we can do that. We can do that. I had a friend one time who bought a car they couldn't afford and I was like, what are you thinking? Like, like, where's this coming from? He goes, oh, you know, I was reading the Bible, and the Bible says that, you know, my father in heaven has a cow, that cattle on a thousand hills. God will always provide, so I'm just trusting him to provide. I'm like, bro, that's not what that verse means. Like, all God's going to provide you is a call from the collector's office, man. Like, what are you talking about, you know? But that's what we can do. Listen, you can use the Bible to justify anything that you already think. Thomas Jefferson is famous for cutting and pasting the Bible. Literally did it. Literally took a Bible. Cut verses out of it and paste it all together so you can reshape it into something he wanted that was a little more palatable to what he already thought. 
But friends, we're not meant to be lived that way. That's not really living with Jesus as our Lord. We can't make a difference in this world if we're being shaped by our own thoughts and feelings. We make a difference by serving a different Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, and coming to his word and saying, God, you shape me, you mold me, you tell me, you show me. We were recently having a conversation in my house about some things that my kids wanted to do, and their live reasoning was, well, you know, all my friends are able to do this. And, you know, I wanted to say something sarcastic like, oh, well, I mean, if all your friends are doing it, like, surely they are wiser than I. I mean, I need to take the wisdom of a fourth and sixth grader. Like, yes, absolutely. That makes tons of sense, you know. I, I should really poll your classmates about my decisions in life. That will be a really good idea. You know, I didn't say that, right. Learned a few things maybe in parenting. Very few, but uh, I didn't say that. Um, God, God checked my heart. But actually, you know what God did? God checked my heart because as I was hearing my kids say, I was like, you know what? How often I can actually use the same line of reasoning for my own life? I was just seeing myself and my kids. When I, when I was in sales, we had this, like, live large mentality. And, uh, you know, I remember one, one day they, they, they brought in this, like, uh, custom tailor from New York. And it was like everyone's getting these custom-made suits. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, man, that suit costs more than my mortgage. You know, like, no way is this actually a good use of my money. But everyone else is doing it. Everyone else thinks it's a good use of money. Everyone else thinks it's a good idea of what we should be doing, right? What's the big deal? I don't want to be seen as a weirdo. I don't want to be seen as the only one who doesn't have a custom-made suit in the office. I don't want to stand out in that way, right? And I'm not saying if you have a custom-made suit that that's a bad thing. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But I'm saying that, like, for me in that moment, it's like, man, I know this isn't good stewardship. Like, all my money is, is not actually my money. It's God's money. And this is not how God would want me to spend my money, spending thousands and thousands of dollars on a suit. But let's be honest, like... I'm a pastor now. I wear suits for funerals and weddings. That's about it. Like, so, like, little goods are going to do me hanging up in a, in a closet. Um, but it can be weird. Like, I, I get, like, my kids didn't want to be the odd one out. And the reality is, I don't want to be the odd one out either. How, how easy it is to be shaped by the things around us. We, we, we want to believe what our culture says about how we should spend our finances. We want to believe what our culture says about you know, what we should think about sexual ethics. We want to believe what our culture says about what it means to be a parent. We want to believe what our culture says about what it means to be actual. Like, fill in whatever the blank is. But Jesus is saying that we're going to have very little effect if we think just like everyone else. He wants to live countercultural lives as God's kingdom people who live under his lordship. And we can't make a difference by not being different. And part of doing good in our culture is not doing what our culture says is good, but actually defining through God's word what is actually good. There's all kinds of things that our culture says is good that actually isn't. And if we just go along with that, if we just affirm everything like we're told to do, affirm this or you're going to get canceled, if we do that, then we aren't going to be living faithfully under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We fulfill our purpose of making a difference by being different and bringing our lives continually under the lordship of Jesus as expressed in his word. We serve a different lord. And we don't do that because we think we're better or we're somehow being judgmental to others. No, we do that because that's actually what we think God wants to use us to make a difference in other people's lives. We serve a different Lord. And two, we share a different life. We share a different life. Verse 16 tells us to do good works so we might see them and give glory to God's results. So we do good, not to glorify us. Right? This, this is not doing good for what you get out of it. 
is not doing good so that you can get your picture taken with, you know, a big check or you cutting a ribbon or, you know, promoting your brand on Instagram. Like, this is not doing good for what you get out, get out of it. And this is not doing good even for, like, okay, I'm not looking for recognition of others. I just want a good feeling and, you know, it's, it's more blessed to give and receive. And so it actually makes me feel good about myself. It's not talking about that. This is saying do good even if it does nothing good for you. Do good so they can actually give glory to God. We're not here to build our own little kingdoms. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're here to promote God's kingdom. And so this actually gives us a different kind of life because what we get out of doing good is not our goal. Our goal in doing good is not what we get out of it. Our goal in doing good is what we can share of the love of God through it. We're not thinking about what we get out of it. We're thinking about how we can share. And so God calls us to approach our jobs, not just for what we get out of it. I mean, I hope you get something out of it. I hope you get a livable wage, you know? Like, but, but we don't just do it for what we get out of it. We do it for what we can share. How can I use my job to do good to others in the name of Jesus? And so lawyers should work with excellence and honesty because they care about God's justice. Doctors, because they care about health and not wealth. Business persons, because they care about people and not profit. Artists, because they care about value of, of the beauty and, and not just celebrity, right? We don't just work at our jobs. We're to use our jobs to serve people and promote God's kingdom through doing good in his name. We should do good through our jobs. We, we should do good just by being good neighbors. Like, we should be the best neighbors on our blocks, right? Shoveling people's sidewalks and not complaining that, man, they haven't done it. I'm just going to always fall. Like, no. Right? And I'm saying that because I can complain sometimes. Like, what's going But, like, no, pick up the shovel and let's do good in the name of Jesus. We should be picking up trashes on our street, initiating community building with block parties and, you know, grill outs, all kinds of things, right? This is why we started our recovery ministry, Transformation Recovery, where we seek to reach men and women in addiction with the hope and help of Jesus. We're just trying to do good in the name of Christ. There's a need in our city. You saw us, but 2021, the highest year ever of deaths due to drug overdose. One of the things that we don't want to be leading the nation in, but sadly we are. How do we respond to that? We seek to do good to those who are caught in the bondage of addiction in the name of Christ. Two, 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 two weeks ago, the Inquirer did an article with Larry Anderson. He's the Phillies radio announcer. Uh, he's very involved with our ministry, Transformation Recovery. Attends our church here. He's a good friend. And in that article, I thought he said well when he said this. A lot of people will say, Hey, they had a choice. They didn't have to do that. We all have choices, and sometimes we make bad choices. Should those people be penalized their whole lives? Shouldn't the question be how we can help them? And because I know Larry, I know that what he also said but didn't get put in the article is, isn't this how Jesus treated us? See, as followers of Jesus, we share a different life where we don't judge people based upon their choices, but believe that everyone deserves to be helped because Jesus has helped us. And you know what? There's a cumulative effect, friends, as we live this way together. Both salt and light get stronger. Like their influence becomes more influential when there's more of them condensed together. There's a cumulative effect that our good works are meant to have to promote the name of Jesus. A few Weeks ago, I was at my gym, and I stopped in the chiropractor's office uh, there to get adjusted because um, I'd actually had an injury, hopefully for the last time. Uh, probably not. But, um, but he was asking me, like, what I do. You know, it's always, like, a weird thing. Like, you know, you're getting there, and, like, you know, you're being adjusted, and someone, like, they, let's not have a great conversation about your life. And I get it. He's trying to break the tension, but I'm like, man, let me just, like, 
do this and like zone out and like, you know, whatever. But anyways, uh, I don't like to be touched, and so it's an awkward situation for me. But, um, which doesn't mean I don't like hugs. I said that one time, like, no, everyone stopped hugging me. Like, I'm happy to hug you, you know? Just like, don't try to give me a back massage. I, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work well. Um, but anyway, so he's, He's like adjusting me. He's like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, my pastor. Oh, oh, you know, Pastor where? I was like, oh, you know, it's a little church called Christ Church. And he goes, oh, I know your church. And I'm like, you know our church. What are you talking about? You know, and, uh, and he starts saying, naming some of you that he knows. And I won't mention your names because I guess that's on some kind of HIPAA thing. I can't tell that you were there. But, but anyways, he, he, just, he starts going on and on about how grateful he is that we're in this community. And he started talking about just the good we do in this place. Right? So he's been to our Easter egg hunt. He's been to our uh, summer carnival. And again, he knows some of you. And maybe you know who you are and who, who I'm talking about. And I, I was thinking to myself, man, if he only met me, I don't think he would be that impressed. <laughs> but it was the cumulative effect of him knowing a few of us that got his attention. I was in West Philly a little bit ago in an outreach. And again, someone asked me, hey, who are you? And I said, well, I'm Pastor Jeff from Christ Church. And they said, oh, I know that church. I said, how do you know that church? Well, they come through the homeless outreach that we do with Chosen 300 Ministries, led by Bill Rodenbaugh. And so I said, man, we got this influence in South Philly. We got this influence in West Philly. Why? Because you're there. You're doing good in the name of Jesus. You're being salt and light. And it's a powerful thing, friends, when Christians share a different kind of life that's devoted to doing good works. As long as our good works are also accompanied by sharing the good news. See, we make a difference by serving a different Lord and sharing a different life, but we also do it by speaking a different message. Speaking a different message. This passage does not explicitly say that we need to speak about our faith in Jesus. It just says do good works. But I think that it very clearly implies that we also need to share some words. Because it says people will see our good works and give glory to God because of it. How are people going to give glory to God for us doing good works if we're not making the connection that, hey, we're not doing this because we're good, we're doing this because he's great. See, if we only do good, people might get confused and think that we're good. And that's the wrong message. Author Donna Whitney writes about how there was a man who had stumbled into a church one day, he heard the gospel, put his faith and trust in Jesus. Right? And the next day, he, he went to his work and told his coworker excitedly about all that had happened. And the coworker said, oh, great, I'm a Christian too, and I've been praying for you. And the man looked at him with sadness. And said, you are the reason why for years I never put my faith in Jesus. Guys, like, why? Like, I've done my best to live out the values of doing good works to you. And he's like, well, that's just it. You were so good and so kind and did that without any mention of Jesus that I convinced myself that I don't need Jesus. I just need to learn how to be good like you. Listen, friends, if all that people know about us is that we're nice, we haven't done anything good for them. Because there's only one message that can save people from the judgment to come, and it's not that we are good people. It is the good news of Jesus and what he's done for them. And so we have a different message we're to share. We have a different message we are to share. And, and this message is so different. I mean, every religion, from whether, whether it be the five ways of Islam to the path of nirvana of Buddhism or the reincarnation of Hinduism, all those religions, while, while there are some good aspects certainly to each, they're fundamentally focused on self-effort, right? Self-actualization. Here's what you need to do. And in many ways, that's what everything in our world is founded upon, isn't it? Here's what you need to do in order to be happy. You know, have more money, 
take more vacations, get married, have kids, or don't get married, don't have kids, right? All, all these different paths to happiness, all these different things we have to do in order to be fulfilled. But the message of the Bible is fundamentally different because it's not about here's another thing that you are to do. It's about here's what Jesus has done for you. The Bible invites us to take off the masks that we so often hide behind and says that God sees who we are with all our faults and frailties and sins and regrets. God sees it all, and he doesn't give us works of penance to do and a long list of how we're to make it up to him. No, he's the God who says, for God to love the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not come into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is our message, friends. And listen, whether people know it or not, whether they realize it or not consciously, their souls are aching to hear this message. In a society where you constantly have to prove yourself, where, where more and more pressure is put upon you to find yourself, souls are aching to be free from the bondage of self-effort, self-definition, self-focus, and self-seeking. People might not know it, and they might actually kick against it. But this message of God's love, and God's forgiveness, and God's grace, shown through the bloody cross of Jesus, this is the message that our self-seeking, love-starved world most desperately needs to hear. And God has you where you are. He, because he wants this different message to come through your lips. So do good works. Do good works. Because people won't care about what you know until they know that you care. Do good works. But don't just do good works. Share the good news of Jesus. This is why we started this church seven years ago. Angie and I and all the people who helped start this church, like life was great where we were. But we wanted to come to a place where there are many people who did not yet know Christ. I met with a pastor here in South Philly those many years ago. I guess I shouldn't say seven that many years ago. It feels like a lifetime ago, but we, we met, you know, it was eight years ago. And, and his message was really simply this. Man, it's a great city. It's beautiful people. Uh, but it's hard because so many have written off God. Will you please come? And will you please help? Not that we're the Savior, not that we have all the answers, but the reality is there's just a lot of unreached people in the city. And sadly, there are so many Christians who have left the city for easier places to live. And if we want to see a work of God happen in this place, we need more people to come into this place. I'm just quoting my friend right now. We need more people to come into this place and be part of what God wants to do here. And so we came. And we started this church. Not because we wanted to have a cooler worship service than someone else, because we're not that cool. We started this church because we wanted to be part of what God was already doing in this place. We wanted to join in the work that God had already been doing for hundreds of years. To, put, to, to, to join with other brothers and sisters in other churches around the city and put our little bit of weight behind the plow. Where together we could share about the good news of Christ. And we could see more and more men and women come to know the God who made them and the God who loves them. And so we moved in so that we could be part of block parties, right? And hang out at parks and sit on our stoops and get involved in the neighborhood because we want to see lost men and women and children who God loves to come know God's love through 
shown to them. That has been the heartbeat of our church since day one, and I pray that it will always be our heartbeat until the Lord comes again. That we would never be content to get together and just do church. But we'd want to have the effect of our lives taking place on the people around us. We're not just here for what happens in the four walls of this building. We're here in this city, in this time, in this place. You're here in this city, in this time, in this place. Because we believe that God wants to use us to share his message of love to the world. I had a friend in New Jersey who, we were just talking about life and he was shouting out his big vision in life has become, he, he wants to retire young. He's starting to make a good deal of money. And so he wants to retire young and travel. He's talking about all these places he wants to go see. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, but because we're good friends, I also said, you know what, that sounds pretty shallow. Now, I love to travel and I love to see places. But what has our life counted for? If when we come to the end of it, all we have is these many miles logged and these many passports stamped. There are eternal souls all around us that God wants to use us to reach. What are we doing if we're not doing that? I'm not saying we can't travel. I'm not saying we can't take vacations. Yes, we need a place to connect, d- disconnect and get some rest sometimes. But let's be very clear. The reason we rest is so that we can get back to work. And God has work for us to do. There are men and women and children right now in this city, in this time, in this place that God wants to use us to reach with the good news of him. And if we're traveling around, getting our passport stamped, we're going to get to heaven with nothing. We need to have a burden and a vision to live for something so much bigger than just having a few nice experiences in life. Friends, what are we living for if we're not living for seeing eternal souls saved? Just sharing the good news of Christ. There are eternal souls all around us and God means for us to reach them. And you know what? God wants to do that not just through you. He wants to do that through us being in us. When Jesus says you here, you are the soul of the earth, you are the light of the world. Uh, we, we miss this in the English language, but in the Greek they both take place in the plural. Like he's talking to all his disciples and who they are together. Right? He's talking to, to you guys. Right? That's, that's what he's saying. He's talking to the people who would form his church. Friends, what God's up to in his church, why, he, why he's calling us to be a community together, as he commands us in Hebrews chapter 13, to not neglect to gather together. Why, why we come together is not just what, what it does for us, and hopefully it does something good for us, certainly. But we don't come together just for what it does for us. We come together because part of being part of an us is that we can have effect on the world around us. Jesus has given every Christian the light is love. And he says, as we come together, these lights brought together, well, what do you say in verse 14? It's like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. One light can be hidden. One light can be obscured. But the more you bring lights together, there's a cumulative effect as we gather together that cannot be denied. And this is what God wants us to have. This is what he's up to in this community. We're coming together not just so we can love one another, but so that we can love one another in such a way that we show off the love of Jesus to people around us. He wants to bring the individual lights of our life together in such a way that we can become a city. A city within a city that shines forth the beauty and glory of Jesus. This is why your attendance matters here. This is why your serving matters here. This is why you're spending time with non-Christians and with your Christian friends and finding ways to bring them together, to have those worlds collide. This is why this matters. 
Because God wants to do something through us communally that is far greater than anything that could, he could do through us individually. And so what, may we not count our lives as cheap by living for things that are shallow and self-centered. May we value the breath that God gives us as being worth nothing less than living for God's kingdom purposes for us to make a difference through us in the lives of those around us. And as we do that, as we give our lives to serving God's kingdom purpose of making his glory known through serving him as our Lord, through sharing a different life of good works with others, through, through sharing the good news of who he is together, well, then we will not be as D.L. Moody Ward succeeding at something that doesn't matter. No, quite the contrary. We will be living for the only thing, indeed the only one, who truly matters. So I want to close where I started, that if you're not a Christian, I believe this is what God's inviting you into today. That he has you here in this time and this place to come to know him as your Lord, to be part of his kingdom, and to find life through his name. Will this be the day where you live for what you were made for? Live for the God who loves you, died for you, and has you in this time and this place because he wants you to know him. And for those of us who are Christians, we live in a busy world that presents us with so many distractions. May this word be a reminder to us and a reorientation for us to keep our eyes on Jesus and the great purposes he has for us to live together for the glory of